You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show recording here live from downtown Batuta. The show goes on, the games go on. Of course, Errol Parker, editor-at-large, is homesick, so you're just left with me, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate. And today's guest, I'm actually a big fan of today's guest. I've been following him for better part of two decades, I'm almost going to say now. He's an esteemed Australian athlete. He's a good country kid too, from the uh, hailing from the Central West, New South Wales. And this is his first time in 20 years he's sitting back and watching the Paralympics, which, you know, he he's watching, but you're going to see him on the screens too because he's anchoring the coverage of the Tokyo Paralympics Games. Thank you for joining us today, Kurt Fernley. No problems. Thanks for the invite. Now, mate, what what is life like when you kind of, you know, when the bright lights dim on like what has been for you one of the longest careers in sport we've seen? Mate, I was uh, I saw a lot of people go through that transition from athlete mm-hmm. back into the into the life. It's a friend told me before I went through it. It's like you're getting divorced from a, from a partner. Yep. You just need to be able to let this thing go and be able to create something different on the outside. Yep. Uh, thankfully, over the last ten years of racing, I, I found a lot of other stuff that I loved. You know, I would start my own family in the last few years, and then. I had an idea of where I wanted to finish. I wanted to finish at the Gold Coast. I would start representing Australia at Sydney in 2000. I wanted to finish in uh, another home games at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Uh, It was a hell of a games, an amazing moment. I got to share the podium with my wife, my kids, and I just knew I was done. So that was really, it was a really great place to stop. Uh, Just knowing that you were done and knowing that you love stuff more than the sport itself. Yeah, knowing you had, you, you now had an exit plan. Like you, 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 you had things on the other side of these games that you were looking towards. For sure, mm. and and a community that I like. I, I I'm a teacher. I, I I work a bit abroad. I work a bit with employment for people with disabilities. I've got a little school overseas that educates kids with disabilities. I, you know, I, you know, I, I'd started. There was just so much happening on the outside that. It, it was almost like a natural progression. It was you know, pretty fortunate because it can be a challenge, but for me, it, it worked out pretty nicely. Now, you you had a, I guess Sydney for a lot of athletes of your vintage, and I'm looking at Thorpey on the screens as well, on the screen now as well. Probably a good place to start, really, because it's just a just a drive away from wherever you are in the country, uh, whether that be Olympics, Paralympics, or whatever else was going on. You know, in Sydney, there was a big push in the sports around that time. I remember, you know, there was a lot, a lot of success, a lot of gold, but also, you know, you look at the tennis and you look at the, and we had a Rugby World Cup around that time and, and you look at all of the uh, kind of stars that came out of that era, you know, turn of the millennium in, in Australian sport. That was your first Olympics. Where were you living at the time? Did you, did you was it just to drive across the Blue Mountains? Yeah, I... I moved down a year and a half before the games and I was sleeping on couches and uh, doing whatever I had to do to kind of afford to be able to train the next day. So I ended up living out 
in the back room of a lady's house in Lidcombe. Yeah, right. And so it was a challenging couple of years. I, when, I, when I moved down there from Kharkov, from the Central West, I, I slept on my coach's lounge for a couple of months. And then I found a job. I was working in a leagues club, checking IDs when I was 17. Couldn't go inside the club. And I, <laughs> I was the worst. I was the worst bouncer in the world. You know, <laughs> uh, but... It was momentum. It was energy. Like Sydney around that period of time was one of the most exciting times to be in Sydney. Yeah. People talk about those games, whether you're in the games competing or or just driving through the streets. People speak about how amazing that city was during that period of time, which makes me just as excited about them coming to, to Brisbane in 2032. It's not just the competition, you know. It's not just the... The, the event or the Olympic athletes or the Paralympic athletes that get that real sense of uh, being part of something bigger than themselves. It's its anyone that's in that vicinity. And at that point in time, all sport, everyone that had the ability to pull on the green and gold kind of just stood a bit firmer. Yeah. And I guess with the, uh, you know, with, with the home hosting the Olympics, the country gets kind of, well, they have to put someone in every event because you get automatic entry. So uh, that's where we did see a lot of personalities you might not have seen in an, you know in an overseas Olympics, and there were a lot of characters too. Do you find it's been easier for you to get the ball rolling post Sydney? You know, because then then you had a big job of going you know overseas. Then you had the big job of going you know to all of these massive cities. It was one thing to be you know working in a leagues club. You know, couch surfing to get yourself to you were still you were still a stone's throw from home, really. And then, yeah, was that was that a good place to start? Because then you know, then all of a sudden we're talking about international flights, we're talking about Athens, we're talking about you know London. Mate, it was an awesome place to start because you got to feel what it's like to have one hundred and eighteen thousand people screaming at your name. You got mm-hmm. your first competition. You got bitten by what was just a heightened experience for every single Aussie. Mm-hmm. And really the team was building for the six years before that as well. Mm-hmm. So you got to be a part of this. It's it's like the leading hook. The hook mm-hmm. got you and it was just, it was a pretty powerful hook at that point in time. Yeah. And then when I got into Sydney and got a couple of silver medals, you kind of, you'd had just enough taste of it, mm-hmm. to just enough success to want to be better but not so much success that you can kind of go okay i'm done yep so for me for me it felt like now looking at it it was a perfect way to start it got me in there got me fired enough up enough to kind of bury myself for another three and a half years go out there and get those couple of gold medals and then also to finish in you know 18 years later as well with an, with another gold i couldn't have asked for a better story arc you won golds across, you know. So you you won medals across. You won your golds. You won silvers, bronze, um, across an array of events. What did you think was your event? What did you marathon? Think? Marathon. My life was about a marathons. Yeah, uh, about marathons. I I would race seventy two ish marathons over the twenty years. Mm-hmm. I'd win forty two of yep. them. I'd be on the podium in another twenty. So. Uh, all parts of my life were all about trying to refine that 42 kilometres and trying to figure out where the efficiencies could be made, trying to figure out, you know, where what courses I wanted to kind of uh, of get under my belt. And the marathon, 
industry, I guess it's called, the events are huge around the world as well. Like New York Marathon, you race in front of 50 million people every year, (laughs) 2 million people on the sides of the roads. So you get these really exciting events that are outside the Olympic and Paralympics experience as well. But And it was more than just an event. It was part of my life for for a couple of decades. Now, you come from a big family out there in uh, in Karkor, just outside of Blaney. You can always eat the soil out there. It's good. It's, good. <laughs> it's an agricultural breadbasket. What was what was uh, going on around you? Were you from a big sporting family? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I was. Uh, my family were a lot of rugby league and a lot of netball. Yep. My my uncle, when I was a young fella through the early early eighties, was coaching New South Wales and Australia in the rugby league. Right. He would coach coach New South Wales through to its first state of origin win, and he'd be the reason why a new why, why a state based coach can't coach a national uh, level team as well. Yeah. Because right. uh, he. He took hold of the reins of the Aussie, the green and gold, and sacked every single Queenslander out of the uh, <laughs> out of the squad. Oh, that's good. So, stuff. Un- <laughs> Uncle Uncle Terry was uh, he coached Parramatta as well, and uh, a few of my uh, cousins were playing in the uh, in the state or, na- or national base leagues. And you know, I always saw sport, and really a lot of a lot of kids from the bush see this is it's the biggest stage that the world's got. Yeah. You know, like when you're sitting around school, you're not talking about who's going to be a scientist. No. You know, you're not talking about which one of the classes is headed into any other field. You're, yeah. you're talking about sport constantly. And the green and gold for me is, and for a lot of kids, especially in the bush, I think, the green and gold is like royalty. It's the thing that is as high as you can possibly go but is achievable for you. It's yours. You know, you're not born into it. Every part of it you've got to earn. Every part of it you've got to hurt to get to, but but it can be yours. But you can also see the pathway from the bush, you know. You can't necessarily see the pathways into being a scientist short of, you know, a school visit to the CSIRO base, you know. Or there you went down, I'm sure you went down and saw the dish in parks, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's all a bit of fun. (laughs) We all went to the dish and we all went to Canberra. <laughs> uh, what the, the, the science, uh, what's yeah. the... Questacon. The little, <laughs> Questacon. Yeah. Every kid from the bush walks through Questacon for one day over six years yeah. and they go, wait, there's more to science than a Bunsen burner? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's all this gravity stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slippery slides and the like. <laughs> But, but sport is a powerful tool for that part of the world, and I, and I'm not saying that I wish that I wish science was embedded in every single school and that they all had the the skills to, or the qualified teachers and the assets to actually do it. But everyone's well, did, got a flea. Yeah, you did have that for sport, you know, and you can see for the sure. Puzzle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from there, you kind of uh, where do you find you know the infrastructure because. I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you say that sport sport is a visible pathway, but you're still coming from a pretty small town. I mean, short of rugby league and netball, I don't imagine many dra- javelin throwers came out of Karkor. Look, <laughs> I was I was still crawling around on the field mm. trying to tackle my brothers when I saw wheelchair racing, and 
to me, it was as foreign as anything I'd ever seen. I never really knew that they were like me, you know. Yep. Like I, I, I literally grew up crawling around the paddocks, yep. with hands in the dirt. And it's funny when you said that you could eat that dirt. I ate plenty of that dirt. <laughs> uh, but, but then when I saw it, I saw wheelchair racing. My teacher introduced me to it. She brought wheelchairs out to the school, put my mates in wheelchairs, put my peers in wheelchairs. My town found out that I wanted to have a look at this this sport. Uh, and 200 cockies, 200 farmers, concreters, fences, 200 people who didn't have the, the the money in their pocket, but they found it and and they would raise 10 grand in two weeks and they would open up the world to me. They would buy me a racing wheelchair. They would buy me a ticket to go over to the US to compete and to see other kids in wheelchairs race. And they told my mum, when my mum and dad tried to stop them and they said that, well, we weren't financial, but we were a very proud family. Yeah. My mum and dad tried to stop the town from raising the bucks. They said to stay out of it. It's between <laughs> us and the boy. And and they would raise that cash. They would tell my mum to drive me down to Sydney to put me on this plane. And then all of a sudden I'm 13, 14 years old heading over to the US. And it just opened up a pathway that, that gave me the world. It changed my life, changed the way that I see myself, changed the way that I see where disability, what it is and, and where it sits in community. It was... It was it was a pretty it was a pretty beautiful moment to start, mate. It's it's probably why I just felt so grateful to do this for twenty five years because when you start from such a place and you require the intervention of people again and again mm. to give you the opportunity, you know, like there's a lot of gratitude there behind that. Yeah, I mean, a beautiful story, mate. Sound like good people out there, and they, and again with that. You kind of you've been overseas. You've seen that as a kid. Good time to see that too. You know, as a teenager, when you are starting to weigh up, you know what's happening after school, and um, and then you know your local community's backing you. And then, of course, you know you have the convenience of the next Olympics is just uh, is is in your state. And then, well, I th- I think that that actually was one of the triggers to get me in there as well. Yeah. You know, it even seeps into the tiniest little towns in this country. The idea that we're going to host an Olympics and a Paralympic Games that's what filters through. Yeah. And th- that does have cut through. Yeah. And, right. and it, it was at that period of time where I was realising that I was different to everyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, in my world at that point in time. Yeah. Like I'm looking around and seeing all my mates get bigger and stronger and quicker and the only time I'm seeing other wheelchairs is when I'm in a hospital and I'm looking at all these people who are sick and I'm yeah. like, I'm not sick. Or Anzac or, Day. <laughs> or Anzac Day. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not returned servicemen. Yeah. But it, it it just kind of changed everything, you know, like everything. Yeah. So then where did you find yourself? Silvers, got a bit of silverware. Then, then yeah, what's the then play t- from there? Is this a job? Is this a – or is this time to study? You've got a, another four years until the next games and you've had your big yeah, moment at home. Mm. After that, 90% of Olympic and Paralympic athletes don't do it for cash. Yeah, you know, like that, they they they're not banking millions of bucks. They're, they're yeah. not banking hundreds of thousands of bucks. They're barely banking tens of thousands of bucks. Yeah. Like, like, they, they, like, they like, do- like the Olympics was created. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is funny though the perception that that there is this real this, this idea that but they're seeking individual wealth. But it's by far that they're seeking to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah, and to put their stamp on the 
Australian tapestry, you know, like the, like the wide kind of story that the green and gold tells. For me, my coach said that I had to go to uni. He didn't yep. want my, he said he didn't want my friends to be other wheelchair races. Yep. He said that I, I want your friends to be something, a completely different world, because when this done, you need, you need to be defined as a different, as dip more than that. Yeah. So I went back to I went back to Bathurst, Charles University, and uh, studied to become a teacher, and did a few good years out there, and and then came back, took another year off, and and went back into Athens, pretty fired up, and uh, been in a good paddock at Bathurst, and uh, came back and and in won my couple room. of gold medals, <laughs> <laughs> won my couple of gold medals, and then it kind of did turn into a job a little bit, yeah, and then it was, yeah, you know, from two thousand and four uh, through to. 2018 it was it was both a job and i like to describe it the way dan kowalski describes it as as well it's the olympic and paralympic athlete is the athlete that is given this teddy bear when they're when they're one year old yeah and this teddy bear means more than anything in the world to them and they carry it until the, that teddy bear is this desire to see whether or not you can be the absolute best in the world. And that just becomes who you are. And, yep. you know, you just sink your kind of life into that area from that point for, for, for the next decade. When did you start feeling that responsibility that I'm sure a lot of people carried for you when you, you know, when you first went over to the States, the whole town flew you over there. And then you start seeing, you know, other athletes in wheelchairs. When did it start hitting home to you that now you were the guy on the screen or in the stadium, you know, that kids in wheelchairs were looking at? Uh, I, I, I don't know whether it did. Um, for racing, I was always intrinsically motivated, you know, like yeah. I would get up there and oh, I, I could get a gold medal or I could win a race and you'd get praise. But if I did something wrong within it, I would always kind of, Personally, you'd be questioned with it or vice versa. You would do a race and you'd you'd get negative feedback yep. and it wouldn't matter because I would know where it was headed. Yep. The reason that I did recognise that I was part of community when the, though when there were kids coming through because when I was the kid, you know, Louise Savage, she was the, the greatest wheelchair racer of her time, of probably all time, she would take me into a living room and allow me to sleep on a couch yep. as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. The world champion when I was 17, 18, 19 years old out of Canada would allow me to live with him for two yeah. months every year. Yeah, uh, right. the, the community look after each other. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to my point where I was, it was my turn or yep. it was that moment that I was able to be at the rare air, the, the pointy end of the field, I just made sure that – I knew that the next guys coming around, they were they were part of my family and they were allowed, you know, you just invite them in. Yep. How are you feeling now? You know, obviously firmly, you know, you're on our TV screens now and you'll be uh, you'll be very much a um, – there'll be as much profile around you now. Uh, you got your own SBS show. You're anchoring the uh, Paralympics coverage. You know, Kurt Fernley is implanted into the Australian kind of public life now, public eye. How do you feel like you've still got, you know, all of the uh, household name, but you don't have the output of 40 marathons? <laughs> How is that? <laughs> you can kind of you can kind of deal with it. This all comes with it, right? This all comes with it when you're training and you're uh, competing. But now you're actually a celebrity 
and it's not necessarily Ugh. related not related to the um you know the extreme cardio of a marathon <laughs> um, mate, I do look forward to uh, life being thrown up in the air and going full Kardashian yeah. over the next. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm going to go. I'm going to go full Hollywood on uh, on the Paralympic Games. It has been. It's been a real. Like I've got, I've got a three year old and a seven year old, and when my seven year old gets asked what dad does, he tells people I talk to, I talk on television. Yeah, you know, like and and so much of my life was about that high rev kind of building and fatiguing moments. Life is much more about trying to tell the story of people around me. People told my story in such a positive way for such a long period of time. Now I get to tell their story. Yeah. You know, so being in, you know, what does what Australia really think on SBS that's coming out on August 18, yep. being able to tell the story of what is the real experience of people with disabilities, have an honest conversation, invite people inside the curtain to see what it is to actually live with the disability in this country or to line up and be on seven the, the, the following week and to introduce a huge part of this country to my family. Yeah, uh, and that's who I feel like the Paralympic team is. Yeah. They're my family, mm-hmm. and I love them. And I, I can't wait to see what it is that they get to contribute to the Paralympic world. And I will do everything in my power to tell it in a way that accurately and and allows people to feel what it is that they're going through. Mate, you're not a Kardashian until no one can remember why you're famous. So uh, <laughs> you, you've got enough medals to, uh, to, to, to last, uh, you know, I think you've got 10, 20 years until we forget where he, where, where did he come from again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you are, um, you are doing this show with the SBS, working alongside some fellow darlings of Australian public life, uh, Noni Hazelhurst of uh, Play School fame and of course Casey Donovan, the Tamworth Terror. How has that been? <laughs> what does Australia really think about dot dot dot? So uh, I, I would take the uh, I would take the, the community for people with disabilities, and we would we would run a few different experiments. There would be the largest survey done around around uh, what people really think around disability. It, it's pretty confronting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that um, even. I had a fairly solid idea of what it is that the story was going to be told, but. Then when you hear it, when you see it take place, it was pretty challenging to watch. But I think that whether or not we tell that story or not, people are experiencing it. Mm -hmm. There are kids in in the playground that are experiencing this atmosphere that we don't really acknowledge. Mm -hmm. This show acknowledges it. Yeah, right. Anyone that watches this will understand and, and get an insight into what it is to be a person with a disability. So we're not and talking strictly discrimination. We're talking hurdles as well and just the, the, the challenges or, or the talking, atmosphere? We're talking social interaction, everything from social interaction to stigma to belief systems to yep. literal you know, social barriers that are standing up in the way of somebody being able to live their life. Yep. It was really kind of – I love my community and – most of the time, I want to go out of my way to build it up, mm-hmm. to do nothing but really positive stuff about who we are or who we can be and, and the potential of the community. This one, in the end, I think it is positive. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very honest. Yep. 
was there much stuff that you hadn't yourself experienced? Now that you're looking at all these different other perspectives, I mean, you would have you would have felt a fair whack of this, you know, as as you said, you, you were lucky enough to have a community that rallied together and got the ball rolling for you on your got you the ball rolling to help you live your life. But you still, at the end of the day, we're in a tiny country town, and you, like you said, you were, you were crawling around tackling your, your brothers on the football oval. Mate, I lived a really weird life. In one in one part of my world, I was praised for being this Paralympic athlete, you know, this this invincible person. And then I would go ten meters the other way and be an object of pity. Yeah. So. so it's a really strange way to spend your time. And more and more often my life was also defined and, and I was well known through sport. So a lot of the stuff that we would experience, you know, I hadn't felt for decades. Yeah. But when you see it again, you feel it again. Yeah. And we've got young, young kids kind of interacting with the world and, you know, just being having their back turned on them. Mm-hmm. Because they slur their speech. Yep. You, you've got young women who have small stature being mocked to their mm-hmm. face. And it just there's an honesty to this that even, I don't know whether it's shocked or hurt, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even though with that said, I, I still think it is a positive story. I still yep. think it is a positive show because it shows the strength of each of these people, however they deal with their life and, and the optimism of who they are and who they can be and where they're headed. So it's a, uh, I'm, I'm equal parts excited and nervous for this thing yep. to come to air. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's going to be a hell of a watch, mate. It's interesting, actually, um, you know, you, you hear a lot, you know, from people within the disability community about one thing they hate is the fussing. You know what I mean? Like the... Uh, it's one thing to pity, you know. It's one thing to be ignored, but then to be, you know, fussed over is uh, is equally frustrating as well. You know what I mean? Most people with disabilities just want to be your mate. You know, yeah. like just want to be out in community and seen equal with their non-disabled peers. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. given an equal run at it, the same that we give to we. I hope we would give to every other person out in the world. Uh, they don't want, they don't want fuss. They don't want pity. They don't want yeah. praise. They just want to be seen as equal. Mm-hmm. Nothing more. Um, they all, they want to be seen by everyone else in the same way that everyone gets seen by a train conductor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's- if he has to get the ramp out, he'll get the ramp out. Otherwise, he's not fucking looking at you. <laughs> uh, not, not me though. I want to be seen as a deity. If I, I want to be seen as some sort of godlike yeah. figure, so, yeah, 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 the uh, Kardashian martyr, Kurt Firm. Yeah, exactly. Although, although you know what, when you do, when you do get given the job of hosting a Paralympic opening ceremony, uh, you know what you realise very quickly, they cop a lot. Of shit. Yeah, yeah, you're a sitting duck. <laughs> I'm a sitting duck out there during those during that games, uh, and I know that everyone's going to go. Don't read social media. I know I'm going to read it, yeah. and it's going to hurt. But I mean, no, the Tudor stories on that one. We got uh, you let me in the fly under that radar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think after speaking to some of the people you've spoken to on this new TV show, you might have some thick skin coming into the. Uh, <laughs> Coming into this uh, media run, I guess, anchor, you're a TV host, 
And um, what what else do you find yourself working in nowadays? I mean, I'm guessing like anyone who's come back from overseas with a bit of silverware, you're on the corporate speaking circuit. Oh, mate, life is. I've got. I got <laughs> not a. People actually they ask me what I do, and I don't really know. You get every other idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like every other man in his dog, I've got too many podcasts, of course. I do do a bit of talking around uh, around culture and community. I do work with people with disabilities around employment. I've got a little school uh, that's looked after by the Edmund Rice Foundation out of yep. uh, Nairobi. We've got 75 kids with disabilities getting five days a week education. I don't know, man. I, I, I just life. I've got a farm. I've got a couple of hundred acres up here uh, in, right. in God's country in Doug, in, uh, in, in Dungog. Uh, right. mate, I'm living, living the dream. The beautiful pipeline of Dungog. That's some good country up there, actually. You could almost eat that as well, mate. Man, again, I've got a healthy diet of uh, dirt and grit. Uh, and uh, any, anything that produces Dougie Walters, mate, is fine by me. What are you running up there? Cattle. Cattle, right. There's some Dungog. There was something that happened in Dungog. I mean, of course, you got Dougie Walters, but there was a famous film shot out there. It'll come to me in a second. So you are on the Australia Day Council of New South Wales. I've got the list of boards here, mate. NDIS Independent Advisory Council. That's a big one. That's a tough one. They're from a few years back. I was uh, oh, right. part of the Independent Advisory Council during the rollout from 2013 through to 2016. I think it was. Yeah. It was a big one, man. Like it, it was. The NDIS isn't perfect, but when you went around Australia and saw the reality of lived experience with disability mm-hmm. before the NDIS. It's hard not to be just grateful that mm-hmm. we are where we are, even though it might need a good kicking and bumping and, mm-hmm. and uh, resizing for the next 50 years, but yep. uh, I'm glad we got it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure people are saying the same thing about Medicare when we finally got it as well. For sure. You know yeah. And then, of course, you are now um, an outgoing Australian Paralympic Committee guest member. Are you still, are you still involved there in any capacity? Yeah, Paralympics. Um, I'm on the the athlete council of the International Paralympic Committee. I was on the board of the Australian Paralympic Committee. And mate, I, the, the, the the community the community gave me the world, gave mm-hmm. me everything. So if there's ways that I can kind of give back and play a part in it, still, then I'm all for it. Well, there you have it, Kurt Fernley, champ, 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 champ. I'm trying to rattle off all these medals here, but he's done it all on the track. And uh, now he's doing it all on the screen for us. Thank you for joining us today, Kurt. What a great yarn. Good to see a, a Blaney kid or a, a Central West kid, Kakor kid, done well. And um, all the best with your cattle, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>